Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Tonight, we talk about the tale of two towns trying to contact the dead. Join me as I discuss Lilydale, New York, and Skull, England. All that and more on Small Town Secret. And welcome to, uh, what is this, episode four of uh, season five of the show. And uh, tonight, you guys aren't aware of it, but it's the old switcheroo. This was not the topic that I had planned to do tonight. Uh, I've been reading a book to prepare for the show that was going to be episode four. And uh, I haven't seen the book for like two weeks. I don't know what happened to it. 
That's right, Patreons. I still haven't found the book from last week. Uh, so if I ever find the book and can finish the book, then I'll be able to do that episode. So in order to uh, get something out this week, I decided just to swap some shows around and uh, do do this episode earlier than I had planned. Uh, so here it is. Tonight is kind of a different topic. Um, going to be talking a lot about mediums and contacting the dead and uh, experiments and, you know, spiritualism and all of that great stuff. Uh, I think it's actually going to turn out to be a pretty interesting episode, and I'm kind of excited to get into it. And really, uh, other than not being able to find the book, uh, I don't really have anything else to uh, ramble on about in the intro, other than to uh, go ahead and thank everyone for uh, tuning in and giving it a listen and all of that great stuff. But yeah, it's uh, two two tales of towns, like I said in the intro, that are really into talking with the dead. And take, uh, these stories take two very different approaches to that phenomenon. So without further ado, let's not bury the lead. I'm just going to get into it. First, we're going to talk about Lilydale, New York. And then we'll come back and we will talk about the Skull Experiment in Skull, England. <laughs> Hello. Do you like werewolves? Ghosts? How about weird legends, folklore? Or is witchcraft your thing? Then join us on Charles Christian's Weird Tales radio show every Thursday. We're on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, YouTube, and at weirdtalesradio.com. Lilydale, New York is actually a hamlet of Pomfret, New York. It's located just over the Pennsylvania border east of Casadega Lake. Lilydale is a very special little place. It's a place solely dedicated to the practice and religion of spiritualism. Lilydale was incorporated in 1879, and in 1903, it changed its name to the City of Light before changing its name to the Lilydale Assembly in 1906. So that's its official name, is actually Lilydale Assembly. Uh, but I don't know. No one really calls it that. They still just call it Lilydale. But if you do ever go to it, the, the kind of the, the gate that they have does have a, it says Lilydale Assembly and like big arched metal letters over and over it on the sign. Today, it's the largest center for spiritualism in the world, with at least 54 registered mediums living year-round, and as well as a few healers and possibly a psychic or two. There's also a couple of hotels, a couple of places to eat, a bunch of stuff. The spiritualist movement started in the late 1800s and became very popular in the early part of the 1900s. Lilydale quickly became a mecca for the movement. This brought plenty of mediums to town. Of course, not everyone was on the up and up. There were many back in those days who faked a lot of activity. Most of the fakery was physical activity. Mysterious pictures, people manifesting ecoplasm, aka G's cloth, and other tricks. It would only stand to reason that a few of these flimflam artists would find their way to Lilydale. Harry Houdini 
in his ongoing quest to disprove spiritualism and debunk many of these people, visited Layla Dale on quite a few occasions. And it got to the point where when uh, Houdini was in town, he was pretty much blacklisted from Lilydale. Like, he would show up and everyone would just close their doors, not answer their doors, wouldn't talk to him. So, yeah, didn't go over well for Houdini and Lilydale after a while. But because of Houdini and a few fake spiritualists, the town's reputation did take a bit of a hit in the early days. And uh, because of that, the residents turned away from any sort of mediumship that involved physical manifestations and focused on only mental attributes. So there's really two types of spiritualism. There is mental spiritualism and there is physical spiritualism. And when we talk about um, our next story, it is much more of the physical variety, but not in like a flim-flammy, huckster uh, uh, <laughs> sort of way, in a much more interesting way. But Lilydale is just, it's all about, you know, kind of just reading people and all of that. And so even though spiritualism declined in the early, kind of the 20s and the 30s, it kind of started going away, the town has uh, since then kind of thrived on it by offering uh, summer camps and other types of get-togethers and just all sorts of stuff that you can go there and do over the summer. Every year, the town receives around twenty to 30,000 visitors, like I said, mainly throughout the summer. And many visitors gather for services at Inspiration Stump. The stump has been used by mediums to hold readings and services since 18. 98. And uh, I got a lot of this. There's a documentary. HBO did a documentary 2010, I believe, is when it came out. Uh, You can get it. It's not on HBO Max right now or anything, but you can rent it off of like uh, iTunes, Apple TV, which is what I did. And uh, they show the stuff a lot because they do a lot of like, you know, people will come, they will sit, mediums will come out and just kind of start reading the crowd, start getting impressions. And uh, they do it in the stump, and they used to stand on the stump, and they don't really do that anymore. And I'm not sure, it's very hard to tell if the stump is an actual stump or if it's like a cement, uh, like a cement sculpture that looks like a stump. I think, I can't really tell, like, it's very large, um, and there is some sort of cap on top of it for them to stand on and stairs that lead up to it. But I, I'm not sure if it's all one thing or if it's all put together. But it is a very neat uh, little thing to gather around. They've got kind of pews in front of it. And, you know, it's kind of like, it's almost like a church service, but it's it's outside. There's no, they're not indoors when they are at Inspiration Stump. And of course, there are other places to explore in Lilydale besides the Stump of Inspiration. There is the Lilydale Museum, which not only serves as a museum, for the town, but for uh, spiritualism as a whole, the entire movement in general, and uh, they have a Facebook page, and I have linked to the Facebook page if you would like to know more about the Museum of Lilydale. Uh, there's also the Fox Sisters home, kinda, and I'll get into the Fox Sisters here in a little bit, a little, little bit. Uh, it was moved from Hydesdale, New York, to Lilydale in 1915, and sadly. It's no longer there. 
It was burnt down in 1955 from suspected arson, but the site where the house once stood uh, can still be seen and can still be visited. It's marked so that you know where it is. And the Fox sisters were kind of famous, kind of infamous sisters who, when they were younger, claimed that they communicated with the spirits in said house uh, through knocks during the night. And uh, then one of them came out and said, oh, no, 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 that's we faked all of that. And then a year later, she came out and said, uh, the faking thing is fake. It did happen, not fake. And so there's a little bit of controversy there. But they did grow up to become very heavily involved in the spiritualist movement. And I just wanted to touch on them a little bit because uh, they probably will get their own episode here in in the future. So I, I you know, I just want to give you a little dusting of who the Fox sisters were and why this is like kind of an important house in uh, the history of spiritualism. But we'll get into them much, much more detail on a later show. Lilydale is also home to the Lilydale Spiritualist Assembly, which uh, holds seminars on both spiritualism and mediumship. So you want to go and learn more about it, maybe test your skills. The Lilydale Spiritualist Assembly is the place to go. And I think that is different than just calling it the Lilydale Assembly. Like it is kind of, I believe it's a building. It's a group of people that run it. Uh, just a very similar title. The town is also home to a 10-acre forest known as the Leolin Woods. Uh, the Leolin Woods is home to many species of old-growth trees, and it even has a pet cemetery in it. And I think that's where a lot of that stuff is nestled. Like, uh, I don't know for sure, but you can kind of tell from the documentary, which is called, uh, what is it, No One Ever Dies in Lilydale. I will link to it, of course, in the show notes if you want to check it out. And uh, I think, like, I believe, like, the stump is in there. There's a pet cemetery. There are paths that you can walk. And it's all nestled in this old-growth forest right by the town, you know. And, and it's a, it, like I said, it is, it is a hamlet, so it is a tiny place. I think right now there's only, like, a couple of hundred people that live there. And uh, not everyone is, like, a medium or is, you know... There are people that just live there, but it is it is kind of a closed community. Like it is gated off in a way where you can go, but during the summer, you know, you gotta pay like an entrance fee and stuff. And they they, they do have a gate, like very much like a um parking garage gate that you can you know, they just raise it up and you can go through. And uh if you do want to live there, like you need to be kind of invited or registered with the town to be able to lease a home there. But like I said, there are people there that do just live there that have been welcomed by the community of spiritualists to uh, live in Lilydale. And if you do get a chance, it's like three bucks, four bucks, something like that. Uh, check out that documentary because they do what they do is they follow uh, a few people around looking for answers. You know, there's a, a man from Chicago who's trying to contact his his uh, son who was shot on a bus there's a woman who's trying to contact her husband and uh, her and her friends. Like, they follow these people around. Uh, then there's other ones. There's three or four that they really follow around. And it is an interesting look because they they follow those people around and they also uh, feature a few of the more well-known mediums in town. 
And I will say that I agree with everyone's methods. And uh, when you do watch it, you'll get a feeling for... I think there's at least one person, one medium in there that... Uh, not on the up and up, because I think everyone that talks to him uh, really is just like, I don't believe a word that guy just said. But most of them uh, do have some pretty unique uh, interviews, do have some great things to say. And uh, it's worth the watch. It's like an hour and a half, and you really get a... Uh, you know, a a feeling for what this little town is, what it's about, and uh, what it goes through uh, in the modern day to be the biggest spiritualist community in the world. So this town, it's an important place, I think. It's a place of knowledge. Uh, it's a place that may give you answers if you're looking for for those answers of what happens beyond the veil. And, uh, you know, it's a place that's well worth a visit. Uh, just make sure that when you go, you go during the summer because apparently uh, it's a bit of a ghost town in the off months. Like they don't do anything like, you know, during Halloween and stuff like that. Uh, and a lot of the places not during the summer, they're just open on the weekends if they're open at all. So uh, the spring, the summer, that's the time to go and uh, check it out. And I, I'm one of these days when it's, you know, safe, but everything's back to a normal state. Uh, I'm, I think I'm totally going to go here because like I said, it's just over the Pennsylvania border and I feel like, I think it's like an eight hour drive from where I'm at. So not too bad. Go down there and spend a weekend in Lilydale and see what's going on and see what it's all about. But that is, that is Lilydale. It's kind of short. It's kind of sweet, but get a chance, check it out. I'm going to check it out, but we'll move on here to, uh, Skull England and uh, talk about some really amazing out of this world experiments and some I don't know I don't even know how to say it just some very interesting pictures some very interesting evidence from the skull experiment in Skull England. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information,
information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Skoll is a village of about... 1,367 people located on the eastern edge of England. And unlike Lilydale, in which the whole town talks with the dead, here an experiment was carried out not only to talk to the dead, but to bring back tangible objects and evidence from the other side. And it was known as the Skull Experiment. It started in 1993 with two couples, Robin and Sandra Foy and Diana and Alan Bennett. The experiment started life at the Foy's farmhouse. The Bennetts are both mediums who underwent most of the experiments while the Foy's carried out the experiments and recorded the results and took you know, copious notes on what was going on. The main goal of the Skull Experiment was to manifest tangible objects from the spirit realm. Not just one, but enough objects to make mainstream science take notice of the paranormal. The experiment started small in the cellar of the Foy's house. The cellar was very soon dubbed the Skull Hole. And this one also has a documentary, which you can watch for free on YouTube. I will link it in the show notes, and it's very good as well. It's, it's British. It's a British documentary, but it's got a lot of great stuff in it. And they show the cellar, and it's just like old limestone, and it's painted blue, and it's got like the recesses in the back to put, you know, you you know, you would always see them in castles. There'd always be like a candelabra in it, and that's what it looks like. And it just looks, it looks perfect. looks perfect for what they were trying to do. Sets the mood very well, I think. At first, the Bennets would go into a trance and begin to have a spirits talk through them. So very typical medium stuff, like, you know, the very the basics of being a medium is talking with the dead and having them talk through you and being in a trance. And so that's that's where they started. However, they were soon approached by a group of spirits, or whatever you want to call these beings, uh, from the other side, and they were referring to themselves as the spirit team. So yeah, you heard me right. They claim that they were getting instructions. They were being contacted by a team of entities from beyond the veil, from the other side, uh, that that were going to help them in these experiments. The Foys and the Bennets claim that they started to receive instructions from the spirit team on how to carry out 
certain experiments, and how to improve others. So as they go on, I mean, they get all the typical stuff, you know, they get EVPs, they get, uh, you know, balls of light that flow around the darkness, all of that great stuff, but they get so much more over the years as well. One of these early experiments involved photography. Using a normal camera, uh, they would take some pictures, but things got weird very quickly with this type of experiment. As uh, they would sit in the dark, and all of a sudden they, they, would, they would hear the camera start to snap pictures, but it would be above their heads, as if something was levitating it above everything. And the other thing to note about this is this was all happening in the pitch blackness, just complete darkness. So even though these cameras were in the dark, they still produced pictures. So you would think you take a picture of pitch blackness, you're not going to get anything. But then they would go, they would develop this film, and they would get pictures. And often these pictures were, you know, pictures of places in the past and they uh once again i did say you know there's a documentary on this one too and uh they show these pictures of like uh, they're like images from world war ii of places during the war and these are new pictures uh, but sometimes the pictures uh were far more abstract and mysterious like sometimes it was just weird balls of light or you know very abstract looking stuff and sometimes they would get like faces like just actual faces of people you know kind of shrouded in this weird weirdest abstractness uh and the, but they were the faces of someone you know a lot of them weren't identifiable but somebody in these pictures and they were even able to produce pictures without a camera at all instead they would put an unopened box of film on a table and then you know the same you know they would just do their thing and then they would go and develop that film, and uh, it would also contain pictures. And many of these were uh, writing, scrolled across the entire roll of film. And so when you look at it, uh, I'll link to that, like I said, I'll link to that documentary. Uh, when you look at them, they show some pictures of these of this film, like they have the film rolled out. Like they're not showing you the photographs, they're just showing you like the negatives of the film. And it's literally just writing, just every frame is just a continuation. Like someone has just written on a scroll, and, but there but are pictures. And, you know, they did a lot. They, they were very good about keeping everything in check and being transparent and saying, we're not faking this, and they would get some help. So, like, after this, the team was quick to get the attention of the SPR, the society for psychical research, which we've talked about many times on this show. And the SPR was invited to take part in most of the research and a lot of the experiments here on after to help legitimize it. The SPR at one point redid the experiment with the box of unopened film to help prove that it was real. But what they did, they would they took the film and they locked it inside of a wooden box and then had someone hold it the entire time. So no one could mess with it because it was in a box, and then also someone was holding it. So if anyone tried anything, 
this person holding it would know that something was going on. And they would still get these strange scrolling pictures. One of these pictures was a diagram. Are you ready for this? Was a diagram of how to improve EP EVPs. It was like this kind of step-by-step -step instruction with drawings of how to take a radio, do this to it, add this to it, and you'll be you'll get better EVPs. Also, these instructions apparently came from Thomas Edison himself. And they know this because at the end of these pictures, at the end of the se sequence of diagrams, he appears to have signed it. And the signature just kind of, it matches up. After the photograph experiments, the Skull team was tasked by the other side with making an apparatus that consisted of a glass dome on the top what appears to be like some sort of little plexiglass stand. When you look at pictures of it, and I don't really know if it has a name in the documentary and the stuff that I read, no one came out and said, oh, we call this thing this thing. But that's what it looks like. It looks like a little, you know, glass dome that you would put something under like uh the the like the glass dome that the the magic rose from beauty and the beast is in it's like that and then it just looks like it sits on this little table that's made out of plexiglass and that's all it is like it's not powered by anything it's not hooked up to anything so this device for lack of a better term would often manifest bursts of energies resulting in quite the light show. And they, they show a couple of pictures. I think a lot of this stuff, there's a lot of stuff recorded on audio that you would like, you know, you would be like, man, I wish they had video of that. But I think a lot of this was done in the dark. And of course, trying to you know, recording the stuff in the dark, especially back in 94, was not like, I mean, you're not going to get anything from that. So there's a lot of audio tape of what's going on. And there is some video that comes along. And there are photographs of this thing just, like, giving off, like, you know, burst of red light and burst of white light and all this stuff and very interesting pictures. The next strange phenomenon that would pop up quite literally in the skull hole uh, were a ports. A ports are objects that seem to materialize out of thin air. And not only would these objects just come into existence, but they would also land with the same loud, audible thump, no matter how much the object weighed. So it could be anything. It could be a piece of paper, and it would go when it hits the ground. It could be a button, and it would go when it hits the table or the ground or whatever. The same noise, no matter what it was, which is really weird. The Skull team started getting apports all the time. Coins, jewelry, watches even newspapers. Over the five years, the Skull Experiment collected over 80 apported objects. Apports were not the only thing that would come out of thin air, but how about disembodied hands? Hands that would at times interact with the participants in the cellar. And I want to take this moment to say that not only was it the, the two couples not only was it some people from the SPR a lot, but eventually they got scientists. They got some physicists in there. They've got, you know, electrical engineers. They got a, they got a few people to come, a biologist, a very, you know, to come 
and uh, take part in these experiments as well to help back it all up. So they were, like I said, they were very careful about documenting it. They were very careful about making sure that everything that they were presenting was legitimate and uh, as airtight as they could get it. The school team was even told by the spirit team uh, that hands and at times other body parts manifested because it was easier to do that than to do a full body manifestation. However, that did happen on quite a few occasions. Then they moved on to video with what they called Project Alice. While, like I said, they did get orbs of light and other things on video from time to time, this specific project, this Project Alice, was they were going for they were going for a certain setup to make it work. So this was a camera setup, and it was set up in between two mirrors so that the camcorder could only film its own viewfinder. So they show it, they show like the diagram that there's a camcorder in the middle and there's these two angled mirrors, almost a triangle, so that the camera sees one mirror, that mirror sees the mirror behind it, and it's making the circle, and now it's the camera's filming its own self, its own viewfinder. Uh, what happened was a sort of the video equivalent of an EVP. Nothing would appear on the camcorder while filming. But when they looked at the video later, they would often get large orbs of strange light and sometimes what looked like tunnels of light and, on rare occasion, some very interesting distorted faces. Uh, there's one that's very famous. They show it in the doc. A lot, actually. And I bet I could even find a picture for the show notes here. I'll see what I can do. Uh, that literally just looks like a very silhouetted, like, human face. Like, you see the shape of the face, and you don't really see eyes and stuff, but you see the gesturing of the nose and the mouth, and you see kind of the brow of the eyes and stuff. It's pretty interesting. And then there's another one that is just straight up an alien. Like, there's no other explanation for it. Like, it is an alien gray. Uh... And that was all caught with this Project Alice stuff. And a, a couple of other very interesting ones, like one of just these eyes, these very weird black eyes, just darting back and forth. It's like a close-up of it. It's, it's, it's it, like I said, some weird video evidence to take a look at. In 1997, the school team would travel to Spain, Holland, Germany, Switzerland, and the U.S., namely L.A., see if they could recreate the activity in other locales uh, around the world. And they did. For example, in L.A., many witnessed a round table which had crystals placed on top of it. They had also put some kind of glow-in-the-dark tape on it for some reason in the experiment. But a bunch of people, school people, the witnesses that came into L.A., watched this round table levitate into the air, turn on its side without the crystals falling off and it would start spinning and it spun so fast that it looked like a pinwheel just going round and round. So, you know, this glowing tape, these little bits of glowing tape were spinning so fast that it just became one line and the crystals on it. They kind of do a recreation of it. I'm not sure when this documentary came out. I know that it came out after um, White Noise, the big EVP movie, because they mention it. But it's got some computer, you know, reenactments that are, it didn't age well, but they're in there. Near the end 
of the uh, five years, the school experiment did one of its most amazing, if just not flat out the most amazing experiment they ever tried down in the skull hole. During a session, Arthur Ellison from the SPR was present and participating. During the experiment, a ball of light appeared, like just a little itty-bitty kind of pea-sized ball uh, appeared and floated inside a large quartz crystal. They say, and this is one of those things that's on audio, that the crystal began to glow once this little ball of light went into it. The crystal then began to float, and eventually it landed inside of a glass mixing bowl that they had beside it on the table. Once again, I think this is a, an experiment that was set up by uh, the spirit team on the other side. He, uh, Ellison was then asked to touch the crystal and try to grab it, which he did, and he was able to grab it. He put it back down into the bowl. He was then immediately asked to do it again, but this time his fingers passed right through the quartz crystal. He could see it like it was a ghost crystal, but he could not get it. And then, on a third grab, this crystal was solid again, and he was able to pick it up. And this is all, it's not on video, but it is on tape. And uh, that's got to be something else. And just think about that for a little bit of seeing that and just being like, I can see the crystal. I just touched the crystal not two seconds ago, and now I can't do nothing to it. So, like, that to me is... Just an amazing thing. It would have been so amazing to witness all of that. Uh, the skull experiment, it went on for five years before ending in 1998. And in that time, it created some of the most intriguing evidence for what may happen to us after we die. And that's it. Those are both of the stories. And I really don't know what to make of all of it. I think, like I said, and I've said this before, that I'm not like a huge religious person, but, you know, if you think about uh, the soul or consciousness or whatever this is, and, you know, it's if it's not a physical thing, it's got to be a, a sort of energy, you know? It has to be. It's the only way that makes any sense. And so if energy can't be created or destroyed, it can only be transferred, well then, where does it go? You know, when we're not around anymore, when this physical body, when we have shed this mortal coil, where does it all go? And even in that documentary, that Skull Experiment documentary, a bunch of people talk about, and they get into something else with a, an old radio, which I'm kind of also saving for either another episode of the show or maybe an episode on the Patreon. Not sure which yet, uh, which is also very fascinating stuff. But a lot of the times, there's more than once they mention that that these people are in another dimension. You know, it's not like an afterlife thing. It's not like they're in heaven or they're in hell. But they have just, they just become some other being in some other place, which is very interesting to me. So... I, I want to really get into, normally I don't do this. Like, if I find a book for a, a topic I've already discussed on the show after I've, sh I've already like discussed it, I usually don't buy the book because I'm so afraid I'm going to read the book and be like, 
Oh man, I should have put that in the show. I really screwed that up. But I am going to buy, there is a book for this, I think that outlines some of the experiments, what they did and how to do them. I grabbed it on my Kindle. So I'm going to read through that and see maybe to be able to recreate or try some of these experiments that they did. And even though they said they stopped in 98, uh, they're still kind of around. There's a website that documents everything. The book I talked about is on there. The documentary I talked about is linked on there. It just takes you to YouTube and you can watch it. And it's just, you know, a whole website of what went on, notes and things that happened. And uh, they've got a Facebook page and they've got a Twitter account and it's active. So I don't think the skull experiment is like ongoing anymore. But there are still people, or I'm not sure if it's even the the people that started it, but someone is there keeping it alive and keeping it at the forefront of everyone else. So, like I said, very interesting stuff. If you do nothing else, watch that documentary linked in the show notes on the school experiment. Take a look at some of the video they get, some of the pictures they get, and just how well, like it really goes into detail about how well they try to back up all this evidence. And uh, so there we go. We are now at the middle of the show, which is intermission. So I'm going to take uh, a little musical break, play some music here. We'll come back and we will talk about some local headlines.
and I am back and ready for uh, the news, aka the local headlines. And I promise, uh, I no mention, no news stories of any monoliths or obelisk or whatever you call them. Uh, past that, uh, we got some new stuff. This first one, not really small townish, but I think a pretty important development. This is from the Washington Post. Uh, hold on, let me see if there's a name on this. I don't see it right off the top of my head. Oh, yes, by uh, Mara Eligori, Eltagori. And this is uh, bones discovered on Pacific Island belong to Amelia Earhart, a new forensic analysis claims. Amelia Earhart's story is revolutionary. She was the first woman to fly alone across the Atlantic Ocean and might have been the first to fly around the world had her plane not vanished over the Pacific Ocean in 1937. After decades of mystery, her story might have come to a close. A new scientific study claims that the bones found in 1940 on the Pacific island of, I'm going to try to pronounce this, Nika Muraro belonged to Earhart, despite a forensic analysis of the remains conducted in 1941 that linked the bones to a man. The bones revisited in the study, Amelia Earhart and the Nikamoro bones by University of Tennessee professor Richard L. Jantz was discarded. For decades, they have remained an enigma. As some have speculated that Earnhardt died a castaway on the island after her plane crashed. The bones were uncovered by a British expedition exploring the island for settlement after the team came upon a human skull. According to the study, the expedition's officers ordered a more thorough search of the area, which resulted in the discovery of several other bones and part of what appeared to be a woman's shoe. Other items found include a box made to hold a uh, Brandis Navy surveying sextant that had been manufactured around 1918 and a bottle of Benedictine, a herbal liqueur. There was suspicion at the time that the bones could be the remains of Amelia Earhart, Janice wrote, wrote in the study. The 13 bones were shipped to Fiji and studied by D.W. Hoodless of the Central Medical School the following year. At the time, Jantz argued, forensic ostology, uh, the study of bones, was not yet a well-deserved discipline. The hoodless methods and, I'm sorry, and hoodless's methods of determining sex were inadequate compared to modern techniques. His assessment of the person's sex, therefore, could not be assumed to be correct, Jantz wrote. In attempting to compare the lost bones with Earhart's bones, Jantz co-developed a computer program that estimated sex and ancestry using skeletal measurements. The program, Fordisk, is commonly used by forensic anthropologists across the globe. Jantz compared the lengths of the bone to Earhart's measurements using her height, weight, body build, limb lengths, and proportions, based on photographs and information found on her pilot's and driver's licenses. His findings revealed that Earhart's bones were more similar to the Nicomororo bones than 99% of individuals in a large reference sample. In this case, the Nicomoro bones are the only documented person to whom they may belong is Amelia Earhart, Chance wrote in the study. Earhart's disappearance has long captivated the public. The theories involving her landing in Nicomoro have emerged in recent years. Retired journalist Mike Campbell, who wrote, 
Amelia Earhart, The Truth at Last, has maintained with others that Amelia and her navigator, Fred Noonan, were captured in the Marshall Islands by the Japanese who thought they were American spies. He believes they were tortured and died in custody. But Rick Lepsey, director of the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, spoke to the Washington Post's, Post's Cleve R. Woodson Jr. in 2016 about how he believes the bones found on Nicomoro belonged to Earhart, an uninhabited corral atoll in the Gardner Island. Nicomoro is part of Kiribati, a former British possession in the Central Pacific that used to be called the Gilbert Islands. In 1998, the group took Hoodless's measurements of the Nikimoro bones and analyzed them through a robust anthropological, anthropological database. They determined that the bones belonged to a taller-than-average woman of European descent, perhaps Earhart, who, at 5 feet 7 to 5 feet 8, was several inches taller than the average woman. In 2016, the group brought the measurements to Jeff Glickman, a forensic examiner who located a photo of Earhart from the Lockheed Aircraft Corporation that showed her with her arms exposed. It appeared, based on educated guesses, that Earhart's upper arm bone corresponded with one of the Nikumoro bones. Glickman, who is now a member of Tigar, told the Washington Post at the time that he understood that some might be skeptical about his findings as they were based on a 76-year-old medical notes. But the research made clear, he said, that Earhart died on Nikumoro. Neither Gillespie nor Glickman could be immediately reached for the post for comment on Jant's findings. In June 2017, researchers traveled to Nikumoro with dogs specially trained to sniff the chemicals left behind by decaying human remains. They thought they might discover a bone, and were especially helpful, hopeful when the dogs seemed to detect the scent of human remains beneath a wren tree. But there were no bones. A week later, the History Channel published a photo suggesting Earhart died in Japan. Based on a photograph unearthed from the National Archives, researchers said Earhart may have been captured by the Japanese after all, as the photo showed Earhart and Noonan in a Juliet Harbor in the Marshall Islands after their disappearance. In the photo, according to the Post's Amy B. Wang, a figure with Earhart's haircut and approximate body type sits on the dock, facing away from the camera. Toward the left of the dock is the man they believe to be Noonan. On the far right of the photo is a barge with an airplane in it, supposedly Earhart's. After the History Channel program aired, a Japanese military history blogger matched the photo to the one published in a 1935 Japanese travelogue two years before Earhart and Noonan disappeared. The History Channel released a statement addressing the discrepancy. History has a team of investigators exploring the latest developments about Amelia Earhart and will be transparent in our findings, the statement read. Ultimately, historical accuracy is the most important to us and our viewers. Gillespie still stands beside his theory, he told Wooten in 2017, after the photograph's discovery. His group, Tigar, had tried to debunk the photo, and Gillespie still thinks the overwhelming weight of evidence points to Nicomoro. Uh, a, long, a long article, but I think an important one, ever closer to solving that mystery. And uh, now let's go back to an actual small town. This is from The Sun over in the UK by Katie Davis. 
Roswell Investigator's Journal reveals he found indestructible debris not made by human hands at Alien Crash Site. In July 1947, a UFO reportedly hurtled in the ranch in New Mexico, and uh, the most famous alien legend of them all was born. Soon after the military sensationally announced in a press release that the remains of a crashed flying saucer had been discovered in the desert. The following day, however, the statement was retracted, and it was said to be instead a damaged U.S. Air Force balloon. The incident has become one of the most discussed and controversial UFO theories in history. Jesse Marcel, an intelligence officer of the 509th Bomberment Group at the Roswell Army Airfield, was tasked with investigating the crash. No more than 30 years on from his death on June 24, 1986, his grandchild, his grandchildren, Jesse Marcel III and John Marcel, claimed he was ordered to deny what actually was discovered at the crash site. Speaking to the Daily Mail, his grandson, Jesse Marcel III, said he was made to be the fall guy. He was the head of the intelligence in Roswell, New Mexico, and followed his orders. In essence, he was at the heart of the, his, of the story and the heart of the conspiracy or the cover-up. The wreckage was first discovered by W.W. Mac Brazell, who spotted odd pieces of metal and debris scattered across Foster Ranch. Jesse Marcel III said even animals had a sense about whatever it was and did not want to go around it. He, Marcel, had examined the debris in the field and determined it was not made by human hands. Pieces of debris were taken to the Roswell base where a team tried to figure out what they were from and what was the material. According to Marcel, some beams, it says beans here in the article, but I know it's beams, were etched with alien writing. Grandson, John Marcel, said he said there were glass fibers and fiber optics that may have been from the computers on the ship. When my grandfather came home with the debris, our dad looked through it with a shining light and saw a purple light inside a symbol uh, of a seal balancing a ball on its nose. Jesse added, my grandfather said you might be the first person on Earth to look at alien writing. The fascinating diary will be released for the first time in a three-part series. Roswell, the first witnesses, the first witness on the History Channel. There's the History Channel again. The show, which airs tomorrow, follows the investigation of the Marcel children along with former CIA operative Ben Smith. Uh, the claim comes after extraordinary footage emerged reportedly showing an alien creature being carted away on a stretcher from the scene. So yeah, you can click on that and it will take you to this video. Uh, then when you get to it, the article is like, Oh, it's the Roswell alien, and it's footage from Area 51. But if you know anything, you know that uh, there probably wasn't an Area 51 in 1947, and that any Roswell stuff would have been taken, and was taken, to uh, to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton. It wasn't taken to uh, Dayton, Ohio. It wasn't taken to, <laughs> to Area 51. So I don't know about that, about that article, but this one's kind of cool that the diary's coming out, and there's uh, another another documentary about Roswell's hopefully some new information in it. And our last one is uh, from Alkapop, all, or I'm sorry, Alkapop, all K-pop. Uh, a Korean YouTuber discovers a decaying dead body while visiting an abandoned house. And this is just uh, attributed to the, the AKP staff. 
Recently, a YouTuber in his 20s discovered a dead body while visiting an abandoned location to film a haunted house. According to YTN News, on December 15th, two individuals, including the YouTuber, found a body lying in a room of an abandoned house in a Hingu Dong, Ujo City, in Gangwang Province at around 3 a.m. Korean Standard Time and called the police. The body, believed to be a man aged uh, 40 to 60, was discolored due to severe decomposition. Police are reportedly sending a forensic team to block off the scene for investigation. The abandoned house wasn't inhabited for years, and the YouTuber told police he had visited the house to make a video content about haunted houses and record any ghost-slash-paranormal activities. The police believe that there is no criminal suspicion, uh, such as murder. However, the police plan to request an autopsy from the National Forensic Service to identify the body and cause of death. Neetsons, who heard the news, said it must have been really lonely for the man when he died. The YouTuber must have been so surprised. I don't think the YouTuber can sleep for days. And the YouTuber must have been shaken. So there you go. I'm going to close all of these uh, super uh, hungry and thirsty tabs before they destroy all of my RAM. Can you hear it? Just, just the fan just going because of all these like ad, you know, just ads upon ads upon ads and all these news story uh, websites. So that's it. That has been uh, this week's local headlines. I'm going to come back. I'm going to talk about something a little bit different this week on a your small town, a secret. And so tonight on Your Small Town Secrets, uh, I wanted to take a little bit of time and talk about something that's been uh, going on with a friend of mine, a friend of mine, actually, uh, and not have anyone, no listener stories, but one from like firsthand, secondhand, I guess, experience. Um, I've had a friend whose house for a very long time, you know, has never had anything really strange going on, but... Over this whole year, something seems to have changed there, and they keep getting uh, weird experiences here and there. In fact, they've been having it going on for about a year. It started last Christmas uh, when they started noticing, started seeing uh, Christmas ornaments falling off the tree. And not just falling off the tree, but seeing them kind of suspend in air for a second and then fall, like someone picked it up and then let go of it, but there's no one there. Uh, that was followed by, uh, speaking of a ports, of what we think might be a porting glass. They have found uh, three or four shards of really dirty, broken glass and uh, cannot account for where it comes from. I think I may have talked about the shards before, on another show uh, way back. I don't know which season that would have been, but that's been going on uh, just all sorts of very weird things. Uh, the, you know, their kids are now hearing voices that they never heard before. Just kind of, you know, no one is there. They hear someone, a woman whispering a disembodied voice of a woman. Uh, they've had stuff move. There's this like, I don't know if you want to call it. It's just kind of a few shelves and it just has stuff for the bathroom on it. Like, move, be moved 
away from the wall in the middle of the night when no one was up to do it. Uh, we've had, they've had uh, just all sorts of weird things, feeling weird, you know, the hairs back on their neck standing up. And uh, just most recently, everyone was at home like last weekend or something, and uh, they heard a very distinct knock at the door and immediately went to answer it. No one had time to really run away without being seen or to get where or hide or anything, and there's no one at the door. So stuff just continues to happen, and I think we're getting to the point, the boiling point, to where we're going to try to hold some sort of investigation just to see if we can document anything. I don't know when. It's been kind of hard with COVID and just, you know, they've got like three, you know, a bunch of kids and just trying to get everything to the point to where we feel we can do it uh, safely and the proper way that we want to do it. So keep an eye out or keep an ear out for that. I'll keep everyone updated on what is going, going on because like this house never had weird activity before. I've been in there a lot. Actually, um, if you remember like season one, like third episode, fourth episode, I did that very long interview with the guy who uh, was abducted by aliens. I recorded that interview in that house uh, because something had happened and I just, I had, you know, they needed someone, someone had to go to the emergency room and uh, they wanted me to stay the night so I could let the dogs and stuff out. And I was like, well, I'll just grab my MacBook. I'll grab my kind of portable mic that I have, my little USB mic, and I'll just do do that interview there. So that's not the first time that this uh, house has popped up on the show. But I just wanted to let everyone know that there is some strangeness afoot very close to me, and uh, I'll keep everyone posted on it. So there you go, a small town secret, uh, straight, straight from the horse's mouth this week. And uh, so there you go, that is this week's episode. And uh, I hope everyone enjoyed it. Uh, if you have a small town secret to share, uh, you can do it very easily by going to stscast.com. Scroll down to the bottom of the main page there. There's an email form where you can send me your haunting experience, your true crime story, your Bigfoot uh, hunting expedition or whatever. Whatever you would like to share about your small town, let me know. We'll get on the show. Uh, if you don't want to do that, you can also get at me on social media. I'm most active on Twitter. That is at STScast. Facebook is also at STScast. And Instagram is at STScast.gram. Let me know. We can get on the show. We can uh, record an interview. You can write something in. You can send me a news story. You know, many ways we can do it and many things we can do. Other things you can find on STScast.com include like merch you want to buy a t-shirt or a coffee mug or anything uh that's where you can do it other ways to support the show the best way to do it uh, financially is uh to join the patreon you can find a link there on the website to patreon under uh, the support tab or you can go to patreon.com slash stscast three tiers uh stickers and buttons extra shows uh, like, you know, ad-free versions of the main show, the music. And I do promise in the later half of this season to get some new music out. It's just been uh, kind of a hectic month or so since this uh, this season started. I haven't had a chance to sit down 
haven't really composed some new stuff yet. But I'll get something out before the season is through. So yeah, you can get the music, you can get STS Backroads, which is a, an exclusive podcast that is usually an extension of this show. And uh, I think I think this next week we will probably talk about uh, the Philip experiment, which is which has some some similarities to the skull experiment. And I think that's what we'll end up talking about in Backroads this week. So if that interests you, interest you, then uh, check out the Patreon and let me know. And as always, you know, just leave a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice, especially if it's iTunes. And uh, if you like the show, tell a friend about the show. If you get, if everyone that listens gets one more person to listen, then we automatically double the audience. So I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank everyone for taking the time out to uh, listen to this uh, dumb little show that I do. And I think, I actually don't feel super great. My voice is going really hoarse and I'm super tired. I feel kind of strange. So I think I'm just going to be done with it for the night. Uh, I'll finish it all up in the morning. And so if you're listening to this first day, it'll probably come out like Sunday afternoon-ish. But hey, it's uh, it's it's December. It's the middle of December. Tis the season for schedules to be all screwed up. So once again, thanks everyone for listening. And uh, until next time, remember, every town has a secret. What is yours? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.